Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. In this episode, we will be covering best practice number two, storing your Bitcoin in a multi-sig wallet. I have with me my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. How's it going? Doing well. Very good. Glad to be here. Um, So since our last uh, episode, we procured an intro and some some intro music. Hope you enjoyed that. That was our uh, good friend Joe Alterman uh, with maybe one of the best song names ever called Before You Bring Me My Cornbread, Slap Some Butter on That Biscuit. So that is a uh, original by Joe Alterman. You can find him on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere they have music. Joe Alterman, one of the greatest piano players alive right now. Check him out. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into it. Do you want to recap, uh, Matt, the uh, best practices for us quickly, please? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. So um, last time we talked about the first best practice, which is buy Bitcoin from a reputable exchange. Um, number two, which is tonight's episode, store Bitcoin in a multi-sig wallet. Number three, create a strong inheritance plan around your Bitcoin. Number four, run your own full node on the Bitcoin network. And number five, review and maintain your plan at least annually. So I think storing your Bitcoin is probably one of the most misunderstood and most important elements of owning Bitcoin. And while, while just understanding how to store your Bitcoin is, is quite confusing for people, especially people who are new to it, the concept of multi-sig storage can be particularly confusing. However, once you understand it, and it's really not very confusing once you understand it, uh, it's immensely beneficial for anyone that wants to own Bitcoin and particularly anyone that wants to own it in a sovereign way. And so, Matt, I'll start out with this question for you. Where is Bitcoin stored? Um, Bitcoin is stored on the Bitcoin network, only on the Bitcoin network. And, uh, it's stored basically through, uh, a ledger that records every transaction that's ever happened from the beginning of the network until the last block. And that's the way that, um, we're able to know that it's the correct version of the network based on every transaction that's ever happened. So, In other words, a lot of what Bitcoin is, is just a giant list of every transaction that's ever taken place on the network. That's right. Um, And I mean, there are a number of ways you can think about it. Maybe a little uh, slightly different way to think about it is I think of it as you have this network that's kind of like a pie that has a fixed amount of pieces to it. Um, Now, the reality is that the pie is currently growing. Sometimes it's shrinking because coins are going away. But effectively, if you own any Bitcoin, you have a small share of that pie that is made up by the entire network. And I think that's, for me, an easy way to think about it, that there will be 21 million Bitcoins. 
you can divide each of those 21 million bitcoins into 100 million satoshis and so when you get down to eight decimal points you're talking about a small fraction of a bitcoin um, you can own down to 100 millionth of a bitcoin on the network and that is your piece of it but i think that when people hear the terms wallet and keys they get very confused and it can get especially confusing when the term wallet and key can sometimes be used to describe the same device. But really, That's I think right. the, and, but really, I think the important thing to realize here is that you never really take any kind of physical possession of Bitcoin in any way. Bitcoin sits in one place and only one place, and that is on the Bitcoin network. Your, That's right. Your, there are keys that you would use to unlock Bitcoin or any wallet you would put in or any wallet you would put your Bitcoin in really doesn't change where the Bitcoin sits. And so at the end of the day, what you have on the Bitcoin network is a record of every transaction that's ever happened. And that record is copied and stored on every node that's on the network. So I don't know exactly how many nodes are on the network. I know it's 10,000 plus. So if you That's can right. imagine, there are 10,000 plus copies of that spreadsheet or that list in existence, which means that that data will never disappear. It's there permanently. That's right. And the other thing to remember there is that the way that the network is designed, it's designed to make it virtually impossible for somebody to be able to go back in time and change any of those records that happened in the past. Um, you know, we won't get into the technical details of how Bitcoin network security works, but the reality is that we're talking about really you have a password that you own that controls your Bitcoin at a certain location on the network. And that password is something like a 10 with 48 zeros. It's a number that's so big that the ability to actually crack that password um, is something that can't be done with the computing power that exists today. Now, if someone were to be able to get hold of your password, what could they then do? Well, if they had your actual private keys that controlled your Bitcoin and, you know, We'll get into the different types of storage in a little bit. But in general, if someone got your password, they could spend your Bitcoin and there's really nothing you can do about it. If that password gets compromised, they could take that password and use it to send Bitcoin wherever they want um, in a way that you could never get it back. Absolutely. And that's why it is so critical that you store your password correctly. So for, for a lot of things I think we're going to talk about in this episode, much of it really just comes down to not how you're storing your Bitcoin, but how you're storing your Bitcoin password. That's right. There's really no such thing as how you store your Bitcoin. Like you said, you don't actually own a Bitcoin. Um, you own a password to verify your portion of the supply of the, uh, that's on the network. Right. And the network keeps track of the Bitcoin that you have deposited. We'll use that term deposited because it's just when it comes into your possession. That's right. And it received. Also, yep. 
Right. When you receive it. And it also keeps a record of everything you spent. So similar to a bank balance where you deposit money into a bank and you may write checks or have other transactions that come out of your account and the net result, your bank balance is the net result of everything you've deposited in the bank and everything you spent. It's similar in Bitcoin in that Bitcoin keeps, uh, there's, there's a record on the network of everything you've ever received and everything you've ever spent. And when you go to spend again on the Bitcoin network, it has a very complex process of making sure that you cannot spend anything, that you cannot double spend. That's right. That was one of the main problems that Bitcoin solved when it came to digital cash was the double spend problem and the ability to make sure that that doesn't happen. Okay. Now there's a, a type of wallet that I know people know about, and I'm hoping Matt, you can put a picture up on the screen of what they call a hardware wallet, which is also used with the term of cold storage. So in that picture, we have an example of the Trezor wallet, which is uh, one of the widely used hardware wallets. That's right. It's this a is little... a Trezor, the Trezor one. Okay. That's a Trezor one. It's got a little screen, two, two uh, buttons on it. And it plugs into your computer via a USB cable. That's right. And there's also a product made by Ledger that is widely used. It almost looks like a more like a USB jump drive. And we have the Ledger up on the screen now. And so people get confused. People think that if they use a device like this, that their Bitcoin is actually stored on that device. That's right. Um, and admittedly, when I first started using hardware wallets, I didn't quite understand Bitcoin enough to really knew what that meant. Um, I thought for some period of time that I was actually storing the Bitcoin on the device. And so I needed to lock it up really securely because if someone stole it, then you know they could get my Bitcoins off of the wallet. Well, that's not how it actually works. Really, that device contains your password in a way that only the device can access it. Okay, now I'm gonna make it more confusing. Doesn't that device also contain a wallet? Well, a wallet is really just a collection of addresses that you designate. Um, the idea of a wallet um, is really, if you take that, and I'll refer to it as a private key or the password, they're inter interchangeable. Um, but if you have a private key or a password that, that device um, generates, then by the virtue of that particular private key, there are a lot of mathematical and cryptographical processes that happen that generate addresses where Bitcoin can be sent. And those addresses are public. That's what you hear as a public key. So whenever you know, someone says, send Bitcoin to this address, they're really refer referring to a public key. And that public key is generated by your private key that's stored in this case on a hardware wallet. I think for a lot of people, that's going to be fairly confusing. And I think that when I've, when I've tried to explain this to people who are not familiar with it, they're, they're trying to use terms that they're familiar with, such as wallet and key, and it can get a little bit twisted, but I think that that there are a couple of takeaways from this that anyone well, can understand. And, and let me those... let me give one quick example um, that I think maybe 
it was helpful for a lot of people, which is that if you think of like your email account, you have an email address. Um, you also have a password to your email account that you use to log in to get your email. So it's similar in the sense that the private key is the equivalent of your email password and your public key is the equivalent of your email address. So you can give anybody your email address and they can send an email to that address and you can read the email. But if someone else sends you an email, unless you have the password to that account, you can't read it. So it's a similar concept. It's just that you're dealing with a location on a network as opposed to a piece of mail or any other data. And would you say that your public key is sort of like your ability to receive an email? Meaning if someone has your email address, anyone can send you an email and your private key is the ability to send an email. That's right. No one can send an email from your account if they don't have your password. Exactly. And similar to Bitcoin. That's right. And so, so people can really take away from this that there's ne Bitcoin never gets moved technically. It just stays... It just stays where it is. There's really nothing there. It's really just a list of who owns what Bitcoin. That's right. And so, except you don't know who, you just except you don't it. know who. It's not kept by with a name. And so, what what multisig is is a way to make it more difficult to spend your Bitcoin. If we want to use the analogy of the email, we're going to make it much more difficult for someone to be able to use your email or send an email from your account without your permission. We're going to set up a very hard password and a, and a difficult barrier for people to get past in order to log into your email right? and send something. So we want to protect people from being able to log into Bitcoin with your password because if they log in or if they, they enter your password into the Bitcoin network, all your Bitcoin is at, is is under their command for lack of a better way of putting it meaning if someone has your private key someone has your password to the bitcoin network you have no control over what they may do with it they can send all that bitcoin anywhere they want that's right there are no other permissions the permission for the bitcoin network is the password but there are ways to set up, and we're going to discuss that here in just a second. There are ways to set up what are essentially multiple passwords that need to be grouped together in order to create your special password. And that's what we call multi-sig. So, right, so let's back up and, um, and just talk about storage in general. And I know we talked about it a little bit last week when we were talking about, uh, Bitcoin exchanges. And let's just assume the starting point of this is that you're going to get your money off of the exchange if it's sitting there. Um, you know, there are cases where you might want to keep small amounts there. But um, what we're talking about here is cold storage. Um, so if you're if your Bitcoin is sitting on an exchange, if you bought it, you know, through an exchange and you never removed it to some sort of uh, cold storage, then um, that's something that you really should consider doing because um, your Bitcoin is exposed in that case. So we really like people to stay away from number one, keeping it on the exchange. Number two, using any type of hot wallet that's connected to the internet. Um, it's really not that different than if it's on the exchange in that case, but 
in either way, it's subject to hacking, it's subject to seizure, it's subject to really anything in the same way that a, a bank account or a brokerage account would be that, you know, if somebody goes to your exchange and your Bitcoin is being held by the exchange, um, it's not truly in your custody. So um, let's talk about the different types of storage, but let's focus on, uh, on, on cold storage. Okay, well, let's get into, I think we should, I think I like to go through what I call the mailbox analogy. And I think that helps yep. some people out. So we're going to run through the different, uh, the different types of mailboxes you might have. And hopefully people will understand the different levels of Bitcoin security and, and we'll get to why multi-sig is so important. So the thing you just mentioned earlier is keeping your Bitcoin on exchange. So let's imagine that we had a mailbox and in order to, and people were going to deposit gold coins into your mailbox and whoever mm -hmm. had possessions of the gold coins and also whoever possession of your mailbox had possession of those coins. So if someone was able to open your mailbox, those coins are theirs. There's, there's no undo button or anything like that. If they get possession of them, uh, it's not possession is nine tenths of the law there. It's possession is 10 tenths of the law. They are their coins. So you're going to want to protect those. So Keep your coins on exchange is like having a mailbox that might be set up at, let's say, a UPS store, the post office, somewhere that's not on your physical property. And with that, if let's just say it's at like a UPS store, if the owner of the UPS store decide to open up every mailbox or every post office box that they had there, they have the master key. They can do that. And they can take out of there whatever you may have in there. Also, if that same owner of that UPS store has been involved in any kind of nefarious activities and the authorities come in there, they can seize everything that's there. That's so right. storing your Bitcoin in exchange really means that the, the custodian of that exchange, or the owner of that exchange, has the ability to take your coins. It has the ability to you have the you have you potentially at risk for being punished for any nefarious activity that they may be involved with and we've seen situations in the past i think there was a, a situation in turkey five six months ago where mm -hmm. the owner of that exchange fled with like about two billion dollars worth of bitcoin yeah he just shut it down and stole the coins and skipped town but if we go back to the mailboxes if someone was going to give you gold coins that had significant value, you wouldn't want to store them in a place where you couldn't physically have access to them. Right. Bad idea. It's a bad idea. And really, in a lot of ways, I like to think of that as like a Bitcoin IOU. It's not real Bitcoin. It's not real Bitcoin until you have possession of the key to send it. That's right. I mean, we... We talk a lot about the idea of Bitcoin being sovereign money and, you know, what does that mean? And really, one of the key aspects of that is it's not sovereign money if you don't have full and total control over it. Um, that's kind of what sovereign means. So um, the idea that you would entrust a third party for large amounts of sovereign money is really kind of an oxymoron. 
it's also generally you're not getting your your real value out of Bitcoin. If you don't take your own possession of it, you're you're missing out on some of the real magic of Bitcoin. So with that, let's move on to the next type of storage where you are get you are moving up to cold storage. And so with that, we have a mailbox and instead of it being uh, at a UPS store or the post office, this is a mailbox that actually sits on your property. And right. with that, you have the only key to that mailbox. So you are free from the risk of the owner of the UPS store. You're free from anything that might happen where you don't have physical possession of it. But even with that, even with you having it in cold storage and having it stored on a Trezor or a Ledger or a cold card or any of the other hardware solutions that are out there, there are still some significant risks with not using it in multi-sig. And Matt, I'm curious what you think some of those risks are. Yeah. So I, I think with a single key wallet, um, first of all, let's be fair to what a single key wallet can do um, because it can do a lot of things. And there are situations where it might make sense to be able to um, you know, use that as your storage method. But for the most part, it does create a single point of failure. And what I mean by that is that if you lose that password um, or if somebody else gets that password, there's a good chance they're going to be able to do something with it that you don't want them to. And what I was going to say is that there are ways to make it more secure um, and the analogy in the mailbox would be if you had an extra key to that mailbox um, that you could keep somewhere safe, um, there's the ability to have a second key uh, that would be identical to the first key, no different, but just in a different location in case you were to lose it. So it's kind of a, a backup, you know, redundancy factor there. Um, the other thing that you could do um, would be analogous to taking that key and putting in its own lockbox with a five or six digit code on it so that in order to retrieve the key, you had to have some information. Um, so you're able to do that as well with a single key wallet. So there are ways to up the security in it. The problem is that it's still a single device and somebody has to know how to retrieve the assets that are on that device um, in a pretty technical way if they're going to be able to get to that Bitcoin um, if they if they need to. Now, whether or not they're supposed to is a different conversation. But when we talk about, you know, inheritance planning and things like that, where you want to make sure that um, families have the ability to get to assets after somebody passes away, um, a single key really does create the ability for somebody to just access all of that Bitcoin without any checks and balances in place. Well, one of the issues that I have with a single hardware device are the seed words. So if you're going to have the single hardware device, there are going to be 12 or 24 words that you need to write down in order to be able to restore that device should something happen. To so, it. so and let's stop there for a second, because um, if somebody's watching this and doesn't own one of these devices and isn't really sure what we mean by a seed phrase, let's just give a quick overview of that, which is that 
any wallet um, can be backed up by using a phrase of words that are in a specific order. And those words come from a list. It's called the BIP39 list. It was a, uh, a change to the Bitcoin software that happened several years ago. And it's a list of 2,048 words. And every wallet that could possibly exist can be derived by using the combination of those 2,048 words, 24 of them in a specific order. Um, again, going back to you know the large numbers and the amount of um, addresses and wallets that are able to be generated given the fact that we've got such a huge password. Um, those 24 words, uh, you know, create some enormous number of potential wallets in the world. And the ability to guess one of them is, you know, not something that's really going to be um, easy for any computer to do, much less a human. No, it's completely unrealistic. But so, so on the simple side of that, when you set up one of these devices, you write down, let's just say 24 words, and you have to keep those words somewhere. And you may need those words in order to recreate your wallet. I've actually used this in my, in my personal life. I've actually used this twice to recover coins that were there. Well, yeah, and that can be something as simple. I'll, I had the same experience that you did, which is I went to um, just do a health check on one of my hardware devices and it was due for a firmware update. And when I performed the firmware update, um, it wiped the whole device clean. So after, you know, I caught my breath and realized that it wasn't gone forever, I was able to get my seed words, enter them in, recreate the wallet, and it was good to go. Yes, it's, it's a pretty amazing process. And if you think about it, one way to protect your password is just to keep these 24 words somewhere. The problem is that while those 24 words can help you recreate your wallet. And so let's just say for argument's sake, you put a million dollars in Bitcoin on a Trezor device. And, and keep in mind when I say put it on a Trezor device, it doesn't mean it's actually sitting there. It just means you're using that Trezor device. You're using the password that Trezor device creates to unlock a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And you have a backup for that device and that backup is your 24 words and you have to keep those 24 words in a secure location. Now, if you keep those 24 words in the same location where you keep your device, so let's assume you keep your device in a home safe. And if you store those 24 words in the same home safe, one of the problems that you have is that if someone, if anyone gets into your safe and realistically safes can be cracked and safes are cracked. It's, it's not as difficult as people think it is. And, and actually a locksmith can get into just about any safe they want, but well, regardless, and, and on top of that, if it's not a very big safe, someone can just take the safe and find someone to crack it. Well, that's the other thing is that a lot of safes aren't bolted down. So if someone wants to come into your home, they can just pick it up and they'll, they'll take it out and they'll get into it somewhere else. Now there are some things you can do on the actual devices so for the Trezor, you, you can enter a PIN number in that is between six and nine digits. So mm -hmm. if someone were to get hold of your actual Trezor device and they don't have your PIN, they can't do anything with it. However, if someone gets hold of your 24 words, 
they can create your wallet. And when they create your, when they recreate your wallet, that pin number will not be on there, which, which to me just, it really creates while it's a good backup and while it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty brilliant solution. You run the risk of anyone getting hold of those words, recreating your wallet and taking everything you've got. Right. Yeah. And it's not necessarily that is a poor way to store the password to your Bitcoin. It's not a terrible solution, but there is a better solution out there. And we're going to start to explain that. And that's called multi-sig. So the first mailbox we have is at the post office or the UPS store. We don't have any control over it. The coins that are in there can be confiscated very easily. The second type of mailbox we have is one that sits in our property. We have a key and we can have backup keys to it, which is Mm -hmm. far more protective. But the next type of mailbox is one that, that instead of needing one key to open requires two keys to open. And in that setup, you're going to have, you, you need to use a minimum or you need to use two keys and only two keys. But for multi-sig, you have a total of three keys that can be used. Well, so, and, and let's clarify that a little bit because it's really, without getting into some of the do-it-yourself solutions that are a little more technical, you can realistically have any number of keys out of an, any number of keys. And I believe, you know, I've never seen anything really more than about seven keys, but, you know, two of three is a pretty common setup. Three of five is somewhat of a common setup. When you get into things like, um, you know, corporate treasury and much more um, uh, highly governed types of um, asset management, then you see things like four of seven, where you might need to have, you know, a board level approval in order to be able to spend Bitcoin. Um, so there is really a, a wide range of options in terms of multi-sig, but really the solutions that we're talking about for, you know, most people to store their Bitcoin on, um, it's going to be a two of three in most cases, and in some cases, three or five. Absolutely. But I, I stratify each of those. I think two of three multi-sig is, is one level. And I think the level above it, which we'll get into, is three of five. And then the level above that I would put as other because there are lots of solutions you can have like a four of seven, a 11 of 15. You know, it can, it can be sort of- Yeah, we're, we're not going to get into all of that. That's... But absolutely. And I think for most people, I think the most common solution- for most people is going to be the two of three. So mm-hmm. once again, going back to our mailbox for this mailbox, we have a total of three different keys and any two of those keys can be used to unlock the mailbox. So, well, and maybe, and maybe a better way to describe it is there's not only three keys, there's three locks. It's not like any of those keys will open the lock. There's three locks and three keys and two of them are required in order to unlock the mailbox. Absolutely. And what's good about that solution is that if someone gets a hold of one of your keys, there's nothing they can do. If there's, they can't spend anything. They don't have the full password because at least two of those keys are needed to unlock the password to be able to spend your Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And 
What this means is that if you have a device failure, it's really no big deal. You can use your seed words still in that setup and you can store those seed words at different locations. Maybe you want to store one at your office. Maybe you want to store one with a family member, close friend. And you don't really have to trust the person that much, although I would never store. Yeah, there's not that much they can do with it. Right. The security risk there is, is extremely minimal. And so you can have that backup with your seed words there, able to recreate your device and not run into that same problem you would have with your seed words being out there where someone who, who had possession of your seed words had possession of your Bitcoin. Right. And we'll get into it a lot more um, next week when we talk about inheritance planning. But this really plays into that as well, because by having different keys and different backups of those keys, it really gives you the ability to manage the risk of loss on your Bitcoin around, you know, extreme cases such as you would have to have, you know, two or possibly three people within your family that you trust um, collude together to, you know, deprive somebody else of their Bitcoin after you were gone. So, you know, while there is no such thing as a truly perfect solution, um, this type of setup really does create some, um, you know, risk management that will cover... 99% of cases that most people have to deal with when it comes to retrieving Bitcoin. So I've talked to a number of people who said, you know, I'm interested in Bitcoin, but I'm not a technical person. I don't really understand it. And I'm scared to lose it. It's been mm -hmm. one of the most common things people have said to me. I'm scared to lose it. It's just, it's confusing, all these keys, things like that. And I think that one of the points I'd like to really get across here is that Multi-sig is easy. And I'm, we're going to, multi-sig is easy. I think after this, we'll, we'll go through the, the two companies that are providing great multi-sig solutions. Mm -hmm. But multi-sig is easy. And if you implement it, you don't need to worry about losing a key or having mishaps or losing your Bitcoin. The solutions are extremely robust. As you said, nothing is perfect. Perfection is a myth. But Bitcoin that's kept in a multi-sig solution is more secure than almost anything else that you might have in your life and in your possession. Right. With the added benefit of it being completely within your control, um, which you know is really one of the great monetary attributes of Bitcoin is the fact that um, it's... It's something that you can hold in your own possession. You don't have to worry about it being held somewhere else. If you have it, it's yours and you can do what you want with it. Well, I've had Bitcoin. I've had my personal Bitcoin on a single, it was actually a single Trezor solution before I had moved it to multi-sig. And I had a situation with a bit of user error and a bit of what I would call some interface, um, you know, some early interface design. Learning curve stuff. A learning curve. Well, it wasn't just me, <laughs> but the uh, this was when Trezor was using uh, a web-only interface. Mm -hmm. And it had, it just had something that was missing. And when I, so I thought I lost my own Bitcoin. I mean, I, I had, I had done, 
you know, I had it backed up. I had, I had my seed word stored correctly. Uh, my wife was able to get to it. My wife was able to recreate a wallet. We had gone through this whole training exercise and I plugged it back in. It showed a zero bounce and Oops. I almost had a heart attack. <laughs> so with that, there are two companies that do a great job of offering a multi, an easy to use multi-sig solution. Yeah. And one, one thing I was going to say about that before we get into who those companies are is that, you know, we just went through kind of the general benefits of why a multi-sig setup is our recommended way to store your Bitcoin. Um, we didn't even get into the fact that when you pair that with a, a company like the one we're going to talk about or the two that we're going to talk about, um, it really creates an even greater level of redundancy. So let's, uh, let's dig into that. Okay, so uh, the two companies we're talking about are Casa, mm -hmm. and I believe their website is keys.casa. And the other one is Unchained Capital, and I think their website is unchainedcapital.com. Mm -hmm. they, they each offer a slightly They're actually unchained.com now. Okay, unchained.com. And they each offer a slightly different multi-sig solution, each one with different pros and cons. I'm going to start by talking about the CASA solution as it's, it's one that I use personally. And for my CASA gold package, I have three keys. My first key is my phone. There's actually a private key on my phone. My second key is a Trezor wallet or Trezor device. And the third key is CASA. Mm -hmm. So if I want to spend my Bitcoin, I can either get my Trezor connected to my computer and use a combination of that with my phone, the Trezor being one key, the phone being the second key, and I can spend my Bitcoin. Alternatively, let's say something happens to my Trezor. I'm able to contact Casa. And Casa can use their key that they have for me as one of my keys. And I use my phone as the other key. Well, I the other thing that they can do, um, and this is whether or not you want to spend your Bitcoin at that point in time, is that if you lose that Trezor, you have the ability to go into the Casa app and tell them that the device has been compromised and that key will be disabled so that it can't it literally can't do anything with that wallet. And then you can set up a new wallet. Um, to use as a, as a hardware device for that, for that setup. And I think without getting into some of the, too many of the sort of the nuts and bolts of how it works, I think the concept here is more important. And that concept is that using a multi-sig setup from Casa, you have some flexibility, even if things go wrong, if your phone is destroyed, one, if one of your two keys is destroyed, it doesn't matter because Casa, Casa will always have that third key. And That's right. And one other thing um, that we'll also get into uh, a couple of weeks from now is that you have the ability with Casa to do something called sovereign recovery, which is that, you know, if Casa were to ever go away, um, you could recreate that wallet without them um, and be able to move your Bitcoin somewhere else. Um, but that, 
also allows you to uh, set up a watch only wallet if you're running your own Bitcoin node um, to where you can use the blockchain that's been downloaded to your hard drive um, to kind of corroborate what Casa is telling you that you have. So that's another level mm -hmm. of, um, of oversight that you can get by using a Casa setup. And I think just to, to maybe try and simplify that a bit, it means that you don't have to trust Casa in this process. There's a way for you to verify the balance on the Bitcoin network independently of what Casa tells you is in your wallet. So Casa is going to tell you you have, let's just say, three Bitcoin in your wallet, but you can actually go create what's called a watch-only wallet on the Bitcoin network and see if the Bitcoin network is telling you that you actually own three Bitcoin. That's right. And um, that's really, you know, many of the critics of, of something like Casa will say that, oh, well, it's a trusted third party and you don't want to have trusted third parties in the Bitcoin world. And, you know, that may be true to some extent, but um, there is a workaround. It, it, they only have you know, that one key that gives them the ability to do nothing with your Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, on top of that, uh, they, uh, they don't have to be around in order for that wallet to work. That's right. And so now let's move on to the Unchained solution. The Unchained solution is similar to Casa, except that instead of using your phone as one key and a treasure or a ledger or one of the other devices as a key, it uses two devices, no phone. And the third key is kept by, by Unchained. A similar situation that you have with the, with using your phone as a key, but, and with this solution also that if something were to happen to one of your keys that you're able to contact Unchained and they're holding a key for you. And, and, and really when I think about this and I think about the argument against it, you never want to have a third party in there. I think that can kind of go a bit far because realistically, even if Unchained or Casa has a key, there's nothing that they can do with it. Uh, that's, that's correct. Um, it's, it's one of, you know, two keys that are required. So um I'll I'll talk a little bit more about Unchained. I actually use that as well. I, I use both Casa and Unchained. And one thing I wanted to mention is that, um, you know, we've said this before. We're not um, recommending any specific solution. Um, we really uh, we want to find the solutions that are right for our clients and for the people that are you know listening here. Unchained may work for you. It may not. Casa may work for you. It may not. Um, everybody's situation is different. But, you know, I will say that I use I use both Casa and Unchained for different purposes, and I'm happy with each of them for the purpose that they're serving. Um, one thing I really like about Unchained is that they have the ability to kind of create wallets within your wallets. So um, they use this concept of vaults where you can set up a vault that's any combination of two keys. And even to the point where you can have two keys that will unlock one vault, and then you could have a second vault where maybe one of the keys is the same, and then there's a different key because maybe you want somebody else to be able to access that Bitcoin in a certain situation. So um, I, I like the flexibility there. 
Um, I think that there's something to be said for the convenience of having one of the keys on your phone like you do with Casa. But um, I really I really like both. Um, I use Casa for another one of my wallets. I have a gold account there where it's a two of three setup. And, um, and it works great. I mean, there's um, very little uh, to do with it other than, you know, I like to do a health check on the, on the keys periodically just to make sure that everything's working. But with both Unchained and Casa, if a key breaks, you tell them it's broken. Um, I know one thing I really like about Unchained is that they have the added protection of video verification. So if uh, you set up a vault in Unchained and you've got Bitcoin in that vault in a two of three multi-sig setup, you can set a threshold that says, okay, if I want to move more than 10% of this Bitcoin somewhere else, I have to verify it. And what they do is you record a short video, you know, I'd say, hi, I'm Matt Burke. And today is whatever the date is. And I'm verifying myself. And then Hmm. um, if you wanted to move, say, half of your Bitcoin to somewhere else, um, in order to do that, you'd have to upload another video that would just be you saying basically the same thing. And then they can compare the two videos, make sure that it's really you and allow the transfer to happen. So, you know, there is a value add there that puts some control in place, um, even in addition to the fact that you've got these uh, multiple keys that really keep everything secure. Okay. So let's say I just, let's say I don't know much about Bitcoin. I know I'd like to own some. I don't really feel like studying it. I don't feel like reading much about it. I just want to buy it and store it in a way where I don't have to worry about it. So I go to read best practice. Number one, I buy from a reputable exchange. I now have, let's just say $10,000 of Bitcoin. Okay. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to lose it. And I don't understand. I I really don't understand what multi-sig is. I understand that it's more secure than the other things. I understand that it's it's what Bitcoin Butlers recommends. And I'm going to follow the guidance and I'm going to put it in one of the, the, the either the Unchained or the Casa two of three multi-sig solution. So it's in there, but I still don't really understand what I've got. And, and my question to you is, what are my risks? I don't know anything. I don't really want to know anything, but I just want to make sure that what, whatever fiat money I converted to Bitcoin is going to be there when I want it. So if I put it, let's just say in the unchained solution, what do I have to worry about? Well, again, um, I think the biggest risk is that Unchained may not be around forever. Um, you know, I hope they are. Wish them the best of luck. But you know, companies come and go, and so I think that that with any multi-sig setup where you have a third party holding one of your keys, to me, that's the initial um, consideration. Who is this company? Are they going to be around? I think based on you know what these two companies are doing in the Bitcoin space and the level of talented people that are involved there that, um, you know, they got a good chance of sticking around. So I don't see that personally as a, as a huge risk, but it's still a risk. Um, and just like with Casa, where you have the ability to go in and monitor your uh, coins directly on the network, you can also do that with Unchain. Um, there's a couple ways to do it. They have a, uh, a software that kind of runs under the hood called Caravan. 
which is really its own multi-sig uh, software code. And you can set up your wallet as a watch-only wallet, either through Caravan, um, or you can use, um, I do it through, uh, through a wallet called Sparrow, which is an app that you can download that you can connect directly to your node. And it's similar to Casa with the watch-only wallet. It's just that you have to use a separate piece of software, but it is connecting directly to your node um, and to the network through your node so that you know that there's no you know, intermediary between you and the blockchain when you're looking at, at those balances. So, so that's you know, one risk. Unchained's gone. How do I see what I've got? Also with Sparrow, and this is a little bit different than with Casa. If I set up the wallet in a certain way with Sparrow using those hardware keys, I actually have the ability to spend my Bitcoin straight from that app. Um, that is um, that is a little bit different than Casa. Casa, you know, with a watch-only wallet, that's a different process than what they would call sovereign recovery, which is you know the ability to recreate a wallet. Because once you do that in Casa, um, you've actually uh, some of it's irreversible. Like once you uh, set up that that recovery, um, it kind of compromises your account, if you will. So um, it's a little more drastic. Where with Unchained. Um, you can use your your wallet and you can actually set it up to spend your Bitcoin from that wallet if you want to. Um, so so they're a little bit different in that regard. Um, as far as other risks, um, I, I think that the biggest risk really comes with um, properly maintaining those hardware devices. Those are your keys. Um, so you get into, you know, not just what storage solution are you using, but what is your strategy for physical storage of your keys. So, um, you know, it's a bad idea to leave both keys with the seed words to those keys written down in the same sock drawer that anybody can get into, because if they do that, then they can spend your Bitcoin. I think that one of the risks, so I agree with everything you just said. And, and one, for me, one of the, the hurdles I had to get over was, well, what, what if something happens to Unchained or what if something happens to Casa? And I think both companies have, have actually accounted for that. Hmm. And I'm pretty comfortable with the, the solutions they have in place for that. And I think that's probably most people's, I think it's probably the most common question that people have, which is, hey, this is, these are great solutions, but you know, what do I do if you're not here? And they both have, they both have contingency plans in place that even if they're not there, you have the ability to to unlock your Bitcoin without them being there. And I also agree that where you store your keys and negligence on your part can play a role there. So let's just say, for example, that you're using the Unchained setup and you've got one ledger, one treasure as your two keys, and you've got the seed words for each store you know, saved on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. And you store all four things in the same location, or you just share, you, you store both your seed words somewhere else in an unsafe location. Something I was thinking about today actually was, you know, people think these things are kind of crazy and, you know, why do you need such secure, why do you need such strong security? And I thought of a scenario where somebody just they set up a wallet, they're not really thinking much about it and they put it they put the seed words in a drawer in their house. 
And that's, I'd love to know how many people are, are storing their seed words in a drawer in their house. I think it's probably more than you would think. Yeah. And maybe someone comes over their house. Maybe it's someone that's not used to being there. And they say, do you have a pen? And you say, sure, I've got a pen. It's, it's in the you know middle drawer in the kitchen over there. And they open up the drawer and they see your seed words. And all they would have to do is take a picture of that. And when they go home, they can unlock whatever you've got there. Now that that's obviously more where we don't have a multi-sig setup. And one of the reasons we mm -hmm. like multi-sig is it prevents against that. But, uh, but it, 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 it comes back to the same idea, which is that you can be negligent with where you store these things. And if you don't store them correctly, you will have an issue. Fortunately, you have to be really negligent and really foolish with how you store. You almost have to invite trouble to get it. But I do think that one of the other things, which is sort of along the same lines that needs to be addressed, is that you do need to maintain these keys on a regular basis. Yeah. Well, in fact, um, Unchained requires you to do a health check on your hardware devices um, at least every 90 days. So um, if you want to use that wallet to send Bitcoin anywhere and you haven't... Um, verified your device in the past 90 days, it's going to make you do that before you can actually unlock that Bitcoin. Um, and that's a really good discipline to put in place. And, you know, going through a health check just basically involves plugging that uh, device in and then uh, you connect through a link to um, to unchain and it checks that the private key that's on that device is the same as, um, you know, what they're seeing on their end and they mark it as healthy and you're good to go. Um, but you know, whether or not, um, it's required, it's still recommended that, you know, you make sure that those things work because the longer you go, um, with a key that's compromised, the greater the chance that someone's going to do something bad with it. Yeah. And I also think that it comes back to the, the first question, which is what happens if something happens to Unchained or to Casa. And if you're testing your keys at regular intervals, let's say it's 90 days or, even every six months, you're going to reconnect with those companies. You're going to see what's going on. You're going to get a level of comfort. Hopefully, you'll see that that the, the interface and the ease of use keeps getting better and better over time, which is something we both noticed. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, you really can't just put your Bitcoin somewhere for, let's say, 10 years and leave it. It's not like leaving gold bars in a safe. You put your gold bars in there and as long as they're there, they're there. You do need to keep up with the devices. And I think every 90 days is every three months. I think that's, that's, that's good. You don't, I don't think you need to do it much more than that. Uh, I would say that's, that's probably about as often as you need to do it. Um, I would think personally, I think if, if it's done at least, once or twice a year, you're probably doing fine, but nothing wrong with three months. Yeah. I think it's sort of like, uh, you know, change your oil. There used to be a thing, change your oil every three months or 3000 <laughs> miles. And then, uh, people realize that it really wasn't needed that often, but it's a good practice. And one of the things I like about that practice also is it gets, once you start doing that health check and you do it a number of times, you get a lot more comfortable with the actual storage solution. For sure. And, and that's one thing that, um, you know, I tell people all the time is that 
with any of this stuff, the best way to understand it is to just interact with it. So, you know, I would even tell people, even if you're going to use a multi-sig um, setup, understand what it means to store Bitcoin on a Trezor or a ledger. And you can do that using test Bitcoin. Um, that's something really easy to do where you can just get some um, some test Bitcoin off the network and move it around to understand it. You know, it doesn't cost anything to do that. Um, and there are other, you know, little things you can do to kind of just familiarize yourself with it. But, you know, the first time I ever set Bitcoin, Bitcoin anywhere, I was terrified. And, you know, until that uh, transaction went through and I saw the money hit the other side, um, you know, I was not comfortable. And now I am very comfortable um, because I understand better after using it, how these devices work, how the addresses work. And that's another thing. I mean, there's a whole different discipline around address management and, and where you're sending things. You know, you can have a wallet that generates almost an infinite number of addresses. Um, so, you know, you don't want to always use the same address to send whatever Bitcoin you're sending to your wallet. Um, there are other things like that, that, you know, are considerations and, and, if anybody, you know, wants to get into any of that, then, of course, we're available to to delve into that deeper. Um, I don't know that it's really part of this discussion, but um, but there are. But the bottom line is just use it, uh, touch it, you know, understand how it works, see how it works. Um, that's really the best way to get comfortable with, you know, what's otherwise kind of it. I, it is intimidating because it's new and it's not a system that you've interacted with. I mean, think about the first time you used email, the first time you browsed on the internet, you know, it was a foreign concept, but once you started doing it, you know, it clicked. Absolutely. And one of the things I think people really just need to understand about this kind of at a simple level is that there are solutions that are out there that are very, very easy to use that will protect a novice user from making a mistake and from losing their Bitcoin. It's actually quite difficult if you use one of the multi-sig solutions from Casa and Unchained to lose your Bitcoin. You, you almost would have to, you would almost have to try to lose it, I think, in some ways, like actively try <laughs> to do something foolish. to, to lose Well, yeah, or, or a better way to put it is you would have to just be unbelievably careless. Someone will do it. There, there will be someone. Oh, it's been done. Score. It's not yeah. a matter of will. You know, it's happened. Um, there are plenty of people that have lost, lost their coins. Um, so anything else um, before we wrap this up that you want to get into? No, I would just want to convey to people that buying Bitcoin the right way and storing it in this multi-sig wallet, which we know sounds like it's kind of from outer space for a lot of people, isn't intimidating. It's a great solution. It's an amazingly protective solution. And fortunately... And by the way, there are other there are other ways. Multisig is built into the Bitcoin protocol, and there are other wallets that provide multisig solutions. Most of them are more difficult to use, if not all of them, more difficult to use than both Unchained and Casa. And I think Casa and Unchained have done a fantastic job with what we have today of what they set up with multisig. I think they're both uh, 
pretty brilliant solutions. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you that I've, I've stored my Bitcoin in other ways, and I had some anxiety having it stored, even though everything was okay, and even though I had it backed up the right way, and even though I was being cautious and thoughtful, the feeling that I got when I had my Bitcoin in a multi-sig solution after having it in in the other cold storage was significantly better, and it's something that I just don't really worry about anymore that once I put it in, in multi-sig, I'm just not, I just don't have that anxiety that I had before of, you know, what if this, and what if that I feel very comfortable and I sleep well at night knowing that I have protected my Bitcoin in a thoughtful way. And that the, the number of things that would have to go wrong for something to happen to it, are really just not worth calculating because the odds of something happening are really infinitesimal. We're talking fringe cases, um, things that are, you know, remote. Um, The other thing, and um, this will be a good segue into next week's episode um, is that using a multi-sig setup and having those keys um, dispersed in the right way with the right people, um, really helps you put in place a robust inheritance plan and uh, best practice number three, which is to create a strong inheritance plan for your Bitcoin will be our topic next week. Um, This is really, you know, the, the heart and soul of, of what Bitcoin butlers is doing. Um, A lot of the things that we were talking about are done with this inheritance planning in mind. Um, We also recently released a sovereign inheritance planning guide, which is a roadmap for people to put a plan in place, um, whether they own Bitcoin, other digital assets or analog assets. It doesn't matter. Um, But we'll get into that a little bit more next time. And we'll talk about, you know, how a multi-sig setup kind of plays into into the ability to create a roadmap for your heirs uh, to get to your assets if, if you were to pass away. Sounds great. And with that, how can people reach us? All right. So we are on uh, Twitter at btcbutlers.com. I'm sorry, at btcbutlers on Twitter. btcbutlers.com is our website. Um, You can email us at info at btcbutlers.com or you can DM us on Twitter. We are um, available to answer any questions. If there's anything that we talked about in this episode or in any other episodes that you feel like um, we could help you with, uh, we'd love to hear from you. So um, with that, we're going to sign off and we will see you next week when we talk about inheritance planning. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Be well. Talk to you soon, Mike.